I really believe that we ought to understand that God expects Scripture to be incarnated in our life. God wants Scripture to walk in and out of us. Really, that's the truth. He wants to clothe His Scripture with us, that we would walk and others would see. I read about an area that uh, is one of the largest military bases in the world. It is located in the state of Nevada, USA, and very few will see it. Very few. Uh, it's, an, it's an area called Area 51. It's the most, uh, uh, it's this nation's most secret domestic military uh, facilities. It is 75 miles north of Las Vegas, and it was constructed around a flat uh, lake bed called Groom Lake. It's, it's a governmental-controlled land, which is over 4,500 square miles. Now, in 1951, at this area called Area 51, the United States tested nuclear weapons above and below ground. And it was very highly classified in those days. And all who worked there, uh, they had to have an undercover name uh, that others would not know what they were really doing. Matter of fact, when they signed on, they lost their constitutional rights because they could not say anything that was going on in this place, and they would bug their homes and their houses. It was a very secretive place. Well, there was, uh, after there was a, some things that would just uh, be classified, a lady by the name of Annie Jacobson, she wrote a book, and she took about 19 men and others that were between the ages of 75 and 92 and began to uh, interview them about some of the projects that they had uh, done. And so when I was looking at this, I realized that the importance of this place it was there to protect this nation. It was there to look at certain weapons and certain ways to spy and have technology that would be used to attack and also to destroy our enemies. And so nuclear weapons, U-2 spy planes, stealth bombers, advanced uh, drones on search and destroy, uh, destroy uh, 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 Al-Qaeda, that uh, would look at these things to be able to search that out. These were the secrets of Area 51. It was forbidden to go there. The airspace, you still cannot fly over, and the only way you could get there, even today, is to be invited, and uh, there's no route by road to get there. Now you say, well, Don, what, is, what does all that have to do with anything, Area 51? Because I believe that you and I are facing great difficulties today, and it could be that in many ways that you and I would get so discouraged and so disappointed that we would leave our place of responsibility and go to a forbidden place that we should not be there. I'll give you a man by the name of Elimelech. You remember Elimelech in the book of, of, uh, of Ruth? You remember Elimelech, his name meant, my God is king. There was a famine in Bethlehem, a famine in the house of bread. And he chose to take his two sons, his wife, and leave Bethlehem and go down to Moab. 
about 50 to 65 miles away. And when he did that, he chose, really, it ended up destroying his own family. He lost his two boys to death. Uh, Elimelech died himself. He left a place of responsibility. Someone asked me, because this Sunday school lesson was spoken a few weeks ago, and some, uh, the teacher asked me and said, why did Elimelech go down? Why did he do that? And because I had said that he was backslidden in heart, and we had spoken about that. And I said to him, I said, Tommy, tell me why Boaz stayed in Bethlehem and Elimelech went down. Boaz, who stayed in Bethlehem, he tightened his belt, and he said, I am going to stay with God because though judgment has taken place, this is written during the days of Judges, uh, when everyone was doing their own thing, and judgment was there, and Elimelech was running away from, trying to run away from God's judgment instead of waiting on God, what God wanted him to do and to grow in this certain situation. And so he ended up going to Area 51 where he lost his family, where he lost his life and his two sons. Shama was in great danger, and yet he did not lose and leave his responsibility. He stood, and he stayed. David Jeremiah had a, a stand-up tour, and I, I liked what he said on his little bookmark, and it said, don't stand down. That's cowardice. He said, don't stand aside. That is compromise. Don't stand against in a wrong way. That is contention. He said, but stand up with conviction and with courage. My, my friend, this is what Shama did. He stood up in the midst of a war with Philistines that was all around them. Now, depression can set down on anybody, right? Even on the children of God, on the child of God. It doesn't matter who it is. It can set in and disappointment and discouragement. Why? Because maybe we have unrealistic goals. I'm so glad that when I Almost 20 years ago, I left our church as a youth minister and went over to Gannett. I am so glad that my main thought wasn't that I was going to build a big church. My main thought was that I wanted to reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and let God build his church the way God wants to build his church. And I'm so glad because I could have had some unrealistic dreams that are just would have knocked me out of the water and caused me to leave my place of responsibility. There are marriages. People get married. They say, I do. And they look at each other and they think, boy, this is going to be the greatest thing in the world. And then they find out they have trouble on their hands. They find out, boy, this is harder than what I thought. And, I, and, I, and that could be 50, 60 years into the marriage. And yet they're still working on it. Unrealistic goals, unrealistic goals for their children, that they would have some goals for them that maybe are not God's goal, and because they're unrealistic goals, what happens is some people can leave and go to an area where they don't need to go, when God wants us to stay. And maybe there's some things like family tensions that will come in our, in our path. You know, one of the things that men especially have to watch out is how to balance their career with their family. 
years ago when I was youth minister. And boy, I was full steam ahead, and, and my wife stopped me, and she said, Look, you are not around. And it helped me. It opened my eyes. Mighty friend, it's like, like riding a bicycle. How do you balance all of that? And, and uh, I remember I was trying to learn how to ride a bicycle. At the age of 17, I took off the training wheels. Uh, seven and eight years of age. You remember when your dad would get behind you and, and help you, and you go, you go ahead, and then you're wobbling everywhere. And I just learned that you just got to let go of trying to be balanced and that whenever something seems out of balance, just put yourself back into place. Family tensions can come into people's lives. Fear of men in the workplace or a preacher. They're they are afraid that uh, if they do something wrong or if they compromise or something, they would get a bad review. A preacher preaching the Word of God that maybe it's not what he wants to speak about, but he speaks about it and people can get upset. My dear friend, God says work for the Lord and do whatever you do. Do it all to the glory of God. And whatever sermon, whatever message, whatever testimony we have, we do it unto the Lord. So fear of men should not cause us to run. And then another reason, it might be king, kingdom confusion. Because you know what happens? Sometimes it doesn't matter if it's a, a preacher or a plumber. Sometimes a plumber wants to be a preacher, and a preacher wants to be a plumber. Sometimes a missionary wants to be a mechanic, and a mechanic wants to be a missionary. And sometimes they are looking at the wrong kingdom when God has gifted every one of us in a certain fashion, in a certain way. Listen, if you're a car mechanic, do the best of your ability and give good prices, and everybody will be at your door. So we have all these contentions that come into our lives that can cause us to leave our places of responsibility. I want to give you three things here. First of all, I want to speak about the Philistines in this lesson. If you'll notice here that Shama was there, and the Bible says that the Philistines were gathered together into a troop. Now these Philistines, they were evil, wicked people pagan people. They wanted the land of Israel. The devil wanted the Philistines to have the land of Israel. Wicked people. You remember one of the Philistines David met. He had a giant problem on his hand, but, it, but he brought them. These Philistines, you and I have enemies. We have two external enemies. My dear friend, we have the world that is against us, and we have Satan that is against us. And what Satan does, Satan uses the world to try to get us to compromise and to back up on God instead of uh, having our minds and hearts on the things of God. Listen, I want to tell you something. Listen, you don't have a friend in Satan. If you were up to your neck in quicksand, he would pat you on the head and go ahead and leave you behind. And he will use this world system, which is void of God, to try to trip us up, try to knock us down, try to keep us out of the place where God would have us to be. And Satan is doing something here. He is never, 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 in this life, horsed up the flag of surrender. 
He will always be about the business of trying to get us to move from our location that God has called us to be. He will dog us until the day we leave this world or to the day he is thrown into the lake of fire. He will dog us, my dear friend, and he hates us because he hates God. And he will do everything he can to get everything to go against us. Hell is bent against you. And hell is against us and against me. And so I want to say again, don't stand down. That's cowardice. And don't stand aside. That's compromise. The Bible says that we are to stand up and to have conviction and courage. So you have an enemy. That's the Philistine. You have an enemy. But you also have an internal enemy. You have your flesh. You have that flesh in you that never will be redeemed. When I was saved and when I was born again, God justified me. He made me one of his. He forgave me. Our sins are forgiven by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I still have this internal enemy, the flesh, that wants to pull away from God. Am I the only one who knows that? I had a man, a preacher, several years ago. He's a, he's a famous singer uh, uh, now with a prominent group, Southern Gospel. At the time he was preaching. He came up to me, and, he, and it was on a Sunday evening, and I had stepped into the grocery store, and he looked at me, and he said, did you give it to him? And, of course, I knew what he was speaking about, and I said, no, and I, I called his name, and I said, look, I didn't give it to him. You know what my, my worst problem is? My worst problem is not other people. My worst problem is not Satan. My worst problem is not this world. My worst problem is the flesh that lives in Dante." And then when I point my finger out, my friend, that finger, three fingers, those fingers point back to me. There is a flesh that is weak and wicked and will try to trip me up and try to make us fall aside from the glory of God, what God wants to do in our lives. Can I get an amen? I hope you know that. You will never get up, never a morning that you will get up and you will never have any problem, any trouble, any trial, any day, any Satan, any flesh that will come your way. Yes, you will. This man, Shama, stood when Satan was going to knock him down. This man, Shama, stood when his flesh said, maybe I can't do this. But he stood his ground. He stayed. Now let's think about the person. Let's think about Shama. This dear man of God. Number one, you have to understand something. He joined himself up with David, King David. Now, King David at this time was not king. King David was running from Saul, do you remember? Saul was a man that was drafting people into his army. Saul was a man that was causing havoc for the nation of Israel. And God had rejected Saul from leadership. And David had to run from Saul because Saul tried to kill him with his spear. David had been ushered up into the palace, and all of a sudden, now he's running. And he's lost his best friend, Jonathan. His family is gone from here. He's lost everything, and he's living in a cave called Adullam. 
And that limestone hole opening in that cave, hiding from uh, Saul. And this man is bent low and bent down, as we realize from the Word of God, from the book of Psalms that he had written. And in the midst of his cave experience, God did something. God spoke to David, and God sent David's family to him, climbed in the cave with him, and then later on, God also sent these three mighty men plus 400 men whom David attracted, and they came into the cave with him. Why did they come into the cave with him? I'll tell you a few reasons. Number one, the Bible says in 1 Samuel that these men were in distress. They were in debt, and they were discontented with the way things were going. And they had heard that David was the anointed king. And the kingdom had not been given to David yet. And yet they believed that David was be, going to be the king. Though he was rejected at this time, these men joined up with David. And David was taken up in an attitude that says, God is on my side. God is still going to fulfill the covenant that he has made with me and my family. And David stood up and David began to train these men to stand. David was a God-noticer. David, everything about David was about God. And God was going to use this man David because there was a kingdom in front of him. And when that kingdom was given to him, these men would be in the kingdom with David. My dear friend, God has given us a kingdom. That kingdom is found in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is rejected today and ridiculed today. He is scorned today, made fun of today. Uh, he's a riddle to many people, and people hate him and do not love him. Oh, they love the babe of Bethlehem, but they don't love the Christ of Calvary who points his finger out and says, repent of your sin, or you'll die in your sin and spend eternity in hell. God's given us a kingdom in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll just tell you, I have chosen to believe. At the age of 20, I chose to believe that God has prepared His Son to be the King of the universe. That one day, Jesus, my dear friend, will rule from the throne of David. David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to step over into Israel, step upon David's throne, and he is going to rule this world with a rod of iron and my dear friend I plan to be with him what about you you see this world gives distress this world will try to make you a debtor to it this world will try to make us discontent but long as you follow King David's greater son the Lord Jesus Christ and as long as we keep our eyes on him my dear friend there's a kingdom awaiting for us and yet that kingdom can be experienced now in our lives. It really can. God has done. So these men, they were called aside to be with David. You see, Saul drafted, David attracted. I'm so glad that the Bible said that God did not choose many noble or mighty. God chose the weak things of the world to confound the strong. You think these men were mighty in and of themselves, my dear friend? They were mighty 
because they followed a great God. The Philistines, the person. Now what about the plot? What about the parcel of ground? I mean, what's all this buzz about these beans? I mean, I, I'm looking at that. What does this mean? What These lentils. What's so precious about these pods? I don't understand that. And then until you began to look at what God has given here for us to see. You see, friend, I want to tell you that we need to get our eyes not on the temporal, but on the eternal. We need to get our eyes on the inner man instead of being so focused on the outer man. And I want to tell you how to do that in just a minute. But I want you to look at that plot of ground. That plot of ground was there. You think that's not so important. In the center of that thing. I'll tell you why. Because he did not want the Philistines to get the land of God. He did not want the Philistines to take away that right that belonged to the Israelites. And he stood because he knew that if the devil took this, the devil would take more. I want to tell you how to win. I want to tell you and me how to win in this world on a daily basis. Number one, W-I-N, here we go. Here's the first thing, it's to worship God daily. You will see the revelation of God. You need a revelation of a high God that's before us on a daily basis. We need to look into his face and to his word and let the word be a mirror to our souls. That we are to allow God to reveal himself to us. To have a high revelation of him and when we worship him, my dear friend, that is the foundation of everything that you base your life upon. The worship of God Almighty. Not just here on a platform and singing. I'm talking about that, and that and it's great. And we worship the Lord because he is worthy. We kissed his hand tonight. We bowed at his feet tonight. But my friend, God says on a daily basis, I want you to worship me and get your eyes off of this world and get your eyes off of your problems. Get your eyes off of these things and put me first, deity, before anything else in the day. Worship. Worship the Lord God of glory. And number two, the letter I, as we said this morning, is, in, is integrity. Today, you know what we have today? We, we, are, in, we are in trouble, especially uh, well, among young people, middle-aged people. and every, I, Everybody is on those computers all the time. Uh, they, are, they, are, they, are, they, are, they are looking at it. They are Facebooking. They are Twittering and and uh, Snapchat, and all this stuff. And they know a lot about stuff. They have scanned the land. But they have forgotten about the deep things. We have forgotten about the deep things. Our minds are, have been so programmed. We are looking at everything else going on except the in, in, eternal, internal things that God has given to us. God wants us to pull together all these pieces of our lives and worship Him. Get the Word of God. Get prayer. Get love. Get truth. Get all these things and focus on that so He can change us 
so that our minds can be renewed on a daily basis, that we might not be conformed to this world. It's a real experience with Almighty God. Then the letter N is nonconformity. You know what happens? When we are more unlike the world, we will be more like the Lord Jesus. And people will get a glance of our great God. You see, worship is your foundation. Integrity is your fuel. When you have integrity, my dear friend, uh, hell can blow its breath against you, but you can go against hell. You can leap over walls. You can run through troops. When your integrity is intact, when your character is intact, when your mind is intact. And it takes discipline. I remember Stephen Alford there at Luther Rice Seminary. He said, when you find yourself getting off the altar, out, the, out of the center of the flame, you get those flash hooks called discipline and called devotion and push yourself back in the center of the flame and stay there. Jesus was on the cross, so what did he do? He said, he said, it is finished. And God, my friend, wants us to stay. We, we are dead in Christ. We died in the Lord. My life verse is Philippians 3, 2, 10. I love it because it says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable, uh, conformable unto the likeness of his death. My dear friend, it hurts to hang upon a cross when you want to do something yourself. It hurts, my dear friend, when the flesh wants to jump down. But those nails hold you, and the words are not any longer cliche Christian words. When you stay dead and let the power of God reign and let the fellowship that we have with him in the fellowship of our sovereigns, that's when our life with Christ gets real. That's when the fruit of the Holy Spirit works. That's when God moves. That's when God blesses. That's when God does something that no man can get any glory for. Worship, integrity, and nonconformity that God has given. The test of true godliness, it is how easy it is for God to get us back on the right path and how difficult it is for someone else to get us off of it. We sing about a living Christ. He is alive. And he is working. He is our warrior. He is El Gabar. He is the mighty man that runs. And we have to depend upon him. The Holy Spirit is our power. Prayer, my dear friend, switches and faith switches it on that God might do things that he wants to do through our lives so that we might stand and keep those beings the devil getting us. You know what Shama means? And I'm closing down this one. Shama means the Lord ever present. The Lord is there. Think about it for a second. Is God in our churches today? Is the Lord there? Can we say Jehovah Shama? If he's in our churches, let me tell you what will happen. There will be truth in the churches. There will be God's doctrine in the churches. We will be following the apostles, what they have written down in the book of Acts and, and the other uh, epistles that God has given through Paul and others. There will be purity in the church. People would walk in purity. 
and, and, and laughter would be in the church. It would be a resort for the angels to be there and to look upon what we are doing. They are saying, man, that's amazing to me. Look at that church. Prayer will be there when the Lord is there. And it won't be some type of machinery. It will be from the overflow of our lives where the leaf will not wither and the gentle dove won't take flight. He'll stay with us. When the Lord is there, when we stick, when we stay, when we do what's right, the Lord is there. Shouldn't he be there in our homes? I don't care what kind of home people have. I've been in homes when the roof has been just million-dollar type homes, and I've been to roofs that uh, you wouldn't even cover the rain, thratched. I, it doesn't matter what kind of floor, and if it's hardwood, carpeted, or some type of dirt, it doesn't matter, my dear friend. But when the father leads that home, and when the mother helps in that home, and when the children are raised up in the things of God, where they learn to toil and to labor for the Lord Jesus Christ, they become arrows in the hands of a mighty God, in the hands of a father, that our arrows can be sent out to the enemy to win them to Christ. And every window in our home will be a window where we look out and we look for the celestial city that's coming one day. When the Lord is there, Jehovah Shammah is there. In our homes. He's missing in our homes today. Where the father and the mother are the professors and the Bible is the textbook. And where the children are taught the word of God and where prayer is real and people speak the things of God. We are missing it in this country. What is wrong with us? I don't know if you've ever heard of Jill Briscoe, but I was able to spend some time with Jill and Stuart at the Billy Graham Cove, and I asked her some lessons, both of them some lessons that they have learned over the years, the greatest lesson. And I asked, she said, one of the greatest lessons I have ever learned is this, that sleep deprivation is better than God deprivation when it came to prayer. When that home burns with incense, when the angels ascend back to God and descend to see what's going on in that home, when the very gates of heaven are open, that's what the buzz about beings are, my dear friend. That's what God is looking for in our lives. You remember Barney Fife? You're, I love that. I love those shows. One of the episodes, Andy was going out of town, and he said, Barney, you got to take over. Barney took it. You know how Barney did. Don not. And the first thing he did, he had to deputize the local mechanic. <laughs> Goober. Goober. And so here they are. They're on mission. They're walking down the streets of Mayberry. And they look at the bank and the lights on and they hear something going on and they realize that someone is robbing the bank, they thought. And so what do they do? They hide behind the car. They are afraid. Their eyes are wide open. They don't know what to do. And Gomer looks over at Barney and says, Shazam, we need to call the police. 
And Barney was thinking about it. Then all of a sudden, he shoots back, we are the police. Uh, my dear friend, we are the police. What is wrong with us? It breaks my heart. And I see what's going on in our churches today in America. We have become a country club with a steeple on top. I don't know about you, but it's a battle. And I do know about you. I remember when Hannah was born. And Kim uh, had a cesarean birth. And, and I remember when I left at the hospital, I went back to our little house. And I remember, remember she's our second, I remember going back to that little rocking chair that I had bought Kim to rock Bethany and now Hannah, five years later. And I remember falling on my knees and I said, oh God in heaven, if I can never be a good, great youth pastor, if I can never be whatever you want me to be, help me to be the best daddy I can be. That was a decision I made. That was a decision that I made. Several years ago, I, I wanted to write down my own goals for my life, and I've been carrying this around for quite a long time, and this is my mission statement. I could repeat it by memory, but I just want you to know I have it in my wallet. And it says this, As a person, I strive to be unrelenting in my devotion to God. As a partner, I strive to be unconditional in my devotion to Kim. As a parent, I strive to be unwavering in my devotion to Bethany and to Hannah. And as a pastor, I strive to be understanding in my devotion to my congregation. And as a pilgrim, I strive to be un, uh, unyielded in my devotion to those near me, to my neighbors and to the nations. You see, my dear friend, I try to go back to my goals. I try to go back to what God has placed upon my heart. You need and I need to go back and stay where we are, where God planted us. I beg of you, I beg of us, I beg of God. I read a story about one of the a white water rafting trip in Africa, in South Africa, where the Victoria Falls are. In America, the highest class for the rapids is class five, which is, uh, can be very, very challenging. But in this part of South Africa, it gets up all the way to seven and to eight. Tor torrents of water fall over from the base there at, at uh, Victoria Falls, and all that water rushes off to the Indian Ocean, and they have these rafting trips that you can purchase and you can be a part of, which would be pretty neat. You pay a lot of money for it. But they get this raft and they seat or seated in that raft are eight people. And this is what the guide said on this one experience or what he says to most of the experiences. He said to those eight, he says, now when this raft gets in turbulent water and when it turns over, it is a if it turns over, when it turns over, I want to tell you what to do. Do not try to swim away from the turbulence. 
Do not go over to the stagnant water to the edge of the banks. You stay in the midst of the turbulent waters. One man dared to raise his hand. He said, what for? Yes, because there are crocodiles on the edge. That'll make you stay. (laughs) Right? That'll make you stay. Well, my friend, I want to tell you something. I don't like it. We don't like it at the time. But you know what God does when we stay in the turbulence? That's where God trains us. That's where God equips us. That's where God builds character. That's where God builds perseverance. In the middle of the turbulence of suffering and trials and tears, you and I need to stay there so God can do his work in our lives. Because it's safer in the turbulence than it is over in the stagnant waters. Helen Keller said security is a figment of the imagination when it's not in God's security. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads about, our hearts about. Every time I hear a man preach, every time I hear scripture, I try to apply it to my life, no matter who is preaching, no matter what has been said. And I say, what now, Lord? What do you want me to take from this? Would you show me where I am and show me what I need to do? Tonight, may we say to the Lord, would you pray? Would you ask God? Would you ask him? Say, Lord, help me to stand. Help me to stand and defend my family and not run. Help me to stand and defend my church and not run. Help me to stand in my workplace. Help me to stand in my neighborhood. Help me to defend those lentils that you have given to me. Oh, Father in heaven, we are weak, but thou art strong. We do have enemies. We have the world. We do have Satan. We have the flesh. But you have promised greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And I pray, Lord, that we would grab hold of your truth on a daily basis. And I pray, Father, that we would commit our lives to you. Not only commit, but we would surrender unto you. And when our mind begins to be despondent and when our hearts begin to be lax, I pray, God, that you would awaken us to the fact that we need to get back to the center of the flame and wait upon you in the power of your resurrection. Forgive us, Father, for being lax. Forgive us, God, for being uh, complacent. Sometimes, Lord, we don't even know it. We can be doing good work, but not the best work. And we pray, Father, tonight that you would move in the hearts of every one of us in this room. And, Father, that when we leave this place, we will say that you are in us 
we would say, Lord God, that you are real. We would understand that you are more real than anything in the world, and we would trust you, and we would experientially walk with you and feel you and know you and that fellowship with you and with other believers in Christ. Instead of being a theory, instead of being a theoretical, Lord, help us to experience your grace today, tonight, this day, this night. And might, might we see the power of God and give you the glory for what you have done. That we would be a vessel of honor for your glory. Thank you for this dear man, one of David's mighty men. I pray for mighty men. Here, mighty women, children, teens, we ask in the name that's above all names, we plead, we beg of you, Lord, help us. We know you are willing and ready. May we listen. We'll give you the glory. We ask this in our Savior's name. Our heads are bowed and